Okay, good evening. Uh, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you know that I showed the, our ministry video and uh, talked about uh, our ministry in the Philippines. And so there was a, uh, the plan is for me tonight to mainly to preach uh, God's word, deliver you a message, because I was going to do that in Sunday school, and then we made a switch that uh, I would do that in the evening. But I did remember a couple things that really I should have said this morning that uh, about our ministry that I want to mention tonight. Um, I did mention that most of the world is Asia. Uh, when you consider the seven continents of the world, there is one continent on which 60% of the world's population live, and that is Asia. So uh, it's, Asia has more than all the other continents combined. But also, added to that is Asia is the least evangelized continent. There are researchers, uh, Christians, that study this, and the main one is um, Joshua Project. You could go online and see that. And they're connected to Operation World, and that's a book that's uh, put out every decade that gives a summary of all the countries of the world and the needs there and a lot of statistics. And uh, that would be very informative if you wanted to go there. And they have um, uh, concluded that about 59%, almost 60% of Asia is unevangelized. In other words, uh, there is a very little possibility that they will hear the gospel unless there is some change in maybe a church planter goes to their area, a missionary goes to their area, uh, that there is very little chance that 60% uh, of, of Asia will hear the gospel or, and has heard the gospel. So uh, that tells us that it is a great need for church planters and missionaries and, and believers who are in those countries to be raised up and to be a witness there. One of the blessings of being in the Philippines is, uh, uh, I, I should say, three blessings of being in the Philippines. One is that the Philippines is in Asia. <laughs> and so we are in a place that is very needy uh, and uh, where most of the world lives. Uh, secondly, in the Philippines, it has a lot of Filipinos, as you could expect. Uh, but the Filipinos are very, uh, uh, their background is well prepared to be missionaries. And that's why, as I mentioned this morning, that there are Filipinos serving as foreign missionaries in at least 30 countries all over the world. And there's a few reasons why that is. Uh, Filipinos are from a, uh, not a superpower, so they are welcome in countries like uh, communist countries and Muslim countries, which uh, maybe Americans are not so welcome. Uh, also, Filipinos are used to learning different languages. Most Filipinos know four different languages as they grow up. So when they go to a foreign country, they can, uh, they're used to learning different languages, and they're used to being in a different uh, culture because the Philippines is very multicultural 
and also many of them are used to living on very little. So uh, to go to a foreign field, their adjustment is usually pretty, pretty quick. And Filipinos learn English from grade one on up. Uh, I don't know if you've ever called your credit card company and uh, somebody on the line is speaking because India speaks English and the Philippines, English is one of the two official languages there. Uh, so they can go to other countries and um, quickly assimilate there. And uh, let's see, the third thing, the reason why Filipinos are, oh, because Filipino, in the Philippines, uh, again, as I mentioned, it has the second highest percentage of Christians in Asia. So God does want to use the Philippines to reach other Asian countries. So it is a, a blessing, a privilege to be part of a ministry there that is evangelizing and discipling and helping to see churches planted and to train nationals for the ministry. I'd like us to turn our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 15. And I need to make sure that I end on time. I should have asked somebody. So let me ask anybody to tell me when I should stop. <laughs> when do you usually end the message? Oh, Pastor Hobbs is here. Usually what time? Don't ask him. I'm sure you... When do you think I should... Okay. 7, 7, 15. Okay, that, we, we're starting to get a consensus here. All right. I think it'll be shorter than that. Um, probably about 7 or so. Okay. Our text is Romans chapter 15, verses 8 to 13, but we're going to start reading in verse 1. And I'm going to ask if we could all stand. This is our, our custom in the Philippines when we have a scripture reading before the message. And uh, I'm reading out of the King James Version, Romans 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Then verses 8 to 13 tell us how Christ received us to the glory of God. Verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers 
and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust, or hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken and that your spirit is among us to speak to us. Thank you for your grace the salvation that we have in your Son, and that we can draw near to you in faith, knowing that we have our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would help us, illumine us and speak to us. We ask that you would strengthen us and convict us. And we ask that you would guide us into the way everlasting. And use us, Lord, for thy glory's sake. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Romans 15, 8 to 13 is one of many paragraphs in Romans about missions. And in verses 9 through 12, you see again and again the word Gentiles. God is not only concerned about the Jewish people. In fact, he has always been concerned about all nations. And in verse 9, the first part, it says, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That is the purpose. That is the purpose for why we exist. We all here are Gentiles, I would assume although there's a lot of Jews in Cleveland, I understand. Uh, but God has saved us by his mercy that we would glorify him for it. And this is the desire and the design of God for all peoples, all nations and kindreds and tribes, that they would also glorify God for his mercy. But you know that among the 7.7 .7 billion people in the world, most of the people in the world are not glorifying God for his mercy. In fact, many, some would say about 50% of the world, have not even heard the gospel one-on-one -on -one, at least one time in their life. About half of the world's population so how can they glorify God for his mercy? But someday they will. Uh, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 15, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 tells us that they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you, thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So someday there will be people 
from every group and tongue and tribe and nation, glorifying God for his mercy. So missions will be successful, but we need to be faithful. Imagine some of these nations, Ecuadorians, Indians, Ugandans, Filipinos, Americans, and people from all the other nations glorifying God and singing to him. This is what Romans 15 describes, and Romans 15 describes how that can happen. Romans 15, verses 18 to 13, uh, verses 8 to 13, tells us uh, four areas that I'd like us to look at tonight. The basis of missions, number one, Secondly, the purpose of missions. Third, the process of missions. And the fourth will be actually our focus, the key to missions, the key to missions. And whether you ever go to a foreign country or not, every one of us should be deeply concerned about the Great Commission, the Lord's command, last command to each one of us. First of all, the basis of missions is verse 8a. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister or a servant. And that is the statement upon which is based the, the last part of verse 8 and the first part of verse 9 that says, so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. How can it be that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. It starts with this basis. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister, was a servant. Uh, this is the basis of missions. Jesus Christ was a minister. That's the Greek word diakonos. We translate sometimes deacon. But most generally, it's translated as servant. Christ became a servant. And not only did he come to teach and to do miracles, to heal, but he came and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that is his greatest service. He was a servant of the Lord in many ways, but the greatest way was he did the work of atonement. He provided salvation for us by his sacrificial death on the cross. This is the basis of missions, the gospel of the cross. The gospel of the cross is the basis of missions. The power of God that sets the captive free. And this is the basis, according to Paul here in Romans 15, why we serve. We serve others because Christ served us. Sometimes when I've been in the Philippines, from the very beginning, in 1991, um, after talking to them and sharing, uh, I would ask them questions and they would ask me questions. You would have this conversation. And sometimes along the way they would find out that I was actually born and raised in Chicago. And they wonder, well, why are you here then? 
And I know what they meant because many Filipinos, uh, just like many people in a third world country, the dream of all dreams is to get to America and to immigrate here and to live the good life. And so the question to me was, well, why are you here? If you are, were already, <laughs> grew up in America, you're an American citizen, why are you here? And that was a great opportunity for me to share the gospel. Christ served us. He gave his life. And there is a message, a life-changing message, the power of God unto salvation message that people need to hear. This is the basis of missions, and this is why we serve. And this is why we, each one of us, ought to serve, because Christ served us for the glory of God. Verse 8b and 9a tell us that Christ became a servant for two purposes. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision of the Jews for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So Christ's first purpose in coming was to fulfill Old Testament promises. Those Old Testament promises that a Messiah, a Christ, a Savior would come. And by coming, after a very long time of waiting, but of course in God's perfect time, that showed the truth of God, that confirmed God's truthfulness. Pastor Potter earlier this morning mentioned how we need to have faith in the promises of God. And those promises are not fulfilled exactly maybe when we want it, right away, and the way we want it to be fulfilled, but God does keep his promises. And for these people in the Old Testament, they waited a long time. But God in his perfect time and perfect way fulfilled his promises, and he will to us as well. And the second purpose why Christ became a servant is in verse 9a, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So this is the purpose of missions, that God would get glory for his mercy. The main purpose of missions is uh, the ultimate purpose of missions is not just the salvation of souls as very dear and important as that is we don't want any soul to perish god more than anyone else does not want anyone to perish and go to hell but the ultimate purpose of missions is the ultimate reason why we exist, the glory of God, so that God would get the glory that he deserves. Honestly, when I went to the Philippines in 1991, I did not go there because I had a great love and burden for the Filipinos, <laughs> to be very honest with you. Um, I knew about their need. Of course, my, my mother is a Filipina, and I knew my relatives were mostly Catholic, and I did have a concern and burden for them. But the Filipino people, I, I really did not 
know them. Uh, the first time I went to the Philippines in 1991 to be a career missionary was the first time I'd ever been in the country. You know, today we do things differently, and you always take a survey trip to the foreign field first and check it out. But that's not what happened in, in my life. I went there, and the first time I landed, uh, set foot in the country, I was already a career missionary. And I didn't go there because you know, I had been there, and I'd seen the needs, and I grew to really love the people and were burdened for them. I simply went there because, ultimately, I went there because I believed God wanted me to. And I needed to do what God wanted me to do because God had saved me. And he was my Savior and my Lord. And what else was I supposed to do? What else is any of us supposed to do? If the Lord saved us, and he is our, our, not only our Savior, but our Lord of our life, we cannot live for ourselves. We need to live for him, for his glory. And that is the ultimate purpose of missions, that God would get the glory that he deserves. So we've seen already two points out of four. Uh, the, that we should serve God and serve others as Christ served us. And we should glorify God for his mercy. To serve others and to glorify God, here's the third point. To serve others and glorify God, we must speak of Christ to unbelievers. To serve others and glorify God, we must speak about Christ to unbelievers. I know there are many ways to serve people. We can give them food. <laughs> we can uh, uh, pray for them. Uh, many, many ways we can serve unsaved people and believers. And there are many ways we can glorify God. We can glorify God by simple obedience in our daily lives. Uh, by praying and by keeping our lives clean from sin. But the Bible is also very clear that to serve others and to glorify God, one of the things that we must do, that we must do, is to speak about Christ to people. That, that is unavoidable. <laughs> uh, that's an unavoidable truth in the Bible, that, that part of the Christian life, part of serving people is to tell Christ, to tell about Christ to people. Part of glorifying God is to tell about God, speak about the Lord to people. And you see that in verse 9b. As it is written, okay, here's an explanation that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause... I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That is the first of four Old Testament quotations. So here in verse 9, it is David. And it's a quotation from Psalms. Uh, and it's also in 2 Samuel. For this cause I will confess or I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. 
Then verses 9 to 12, verse 9b to 12, describe the process of missions. How does it happen that an unsaved Gentile becomes somebody who praises God for his mercy? We're going to see this process. But the process starts in verse 9b, the first Old Testament quotation, when a believer decides, I will confess or praise you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. That's how this process starts. When a believer decides to speak about God when he is among unbelievers. You know that every day we are faced with that choice. Every day that we are among unbelievers. The choice of whether we will speak about God or not. Many times, I understand that we cannot go through a full gospel presentation with unsaved people. We are on our way, doing business, running an errand, uh, just passing somebody by. But uh, there, are, there are ways that we can give some kind of witness about God, about Christ, to unsaved people. Giving a tract, speaking about the Lord, uh, praising him, as it describes here, singing unto his name, and letting people know that you are rejoicing in the Lord and you're speaking about him, that you're not ashamed to speak about him. So that is verse 9b. That's how it starts. Uh, A believer deciding to speak about Christ among unbelievers. Then verse 10 And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. In verse 10, unbelievers are supposed to rejoice in God with God's people. Verse 11, repeated there twice, is the word all. All people groups are to praise the Lord. And that raises the question, how? How can it be that all people groups will praise the Lord. And how can it be that unsaved Gentiles become somebody who praise the Lord and rejoice in his name? That's where verse 12, the last quotation, gives us the root of this. Verse 12, And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Who is the root of Jesse? The one that shall rise to rule over the Gentiles. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. And in Christ shall the Gentiles trust. This will happen. Gentiles will put their trust or their hope in Christ. So that idea of hope is the idea of confident expectation. You know, the English word hope carries uh, an element of doubt in it. But the biblical word hope, the biblical idea of hope, is, has no doubt whatsoever. It's full confidence. 
putting their confidence in Christ. That's what the Gentiles shall do. And that is why they shall now rejoice in the Lord and praise his name because their confidence, their trust is in Christ. And how did all that start? How did it start that now, because Gentiles are hoping in Christ, they are praising him? It started with, the process of mission started with one believer among unsaved people unashamedly speaking about Christ, singing to his name and rejoicing in him. So this is what we need to decide to do. We need to decide, like David did, I will confess to you. I will speak about you among the Gentiles. And I will give praise to your name. Would we be willing to make that decision tonight? We're going to walk out these doors and we will be... Monday through Saturday, in the midst of unsaved people. Are we going to be willing to do what David did? Are we going to decide, I will speak about Christ. I will speak about the Lord among unbelievers. I will be praising the Lord among believers. And that's the second thing. How can it be that we, will re- we can have a heart rejoicing in Christ. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to sing to the Lord and speak about the Lord when our heart is focused on all of our problems and troubles. How can we be somebody who, from the abundance of our heart, a heart rejoicing in the Lord, confident in the Lord, is now speaking about the Lord and singing about the Lord? How can we be rejoicing in the Lord? Uh, That leads us to verse 13, the key to missions. In verse 13, the last verse in our paragraph here, Paul stops quoting the Old Testament and now applies this to us. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. God can fill us with joy and peace. By the Holy Spirit's power, we can abound in hope. God's Spirit can make us to abound in confident expectation. We can be full of joy and peace. But embedded here in the midst of this, of verse 13, is our responsibility, our part in this. The God of hope fills a person with joy and peace when? In in what? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It is in believing. Believing what? Well, the whole context is somebody hoping in Christ, having their trust in Christ. So it's believing in Christ, faith in Christ, 
causes somebody to be a recipient of God's filling them with joy and peace and hope. You have to have your faith in Christ. Uh, as I mentioned, the, since 1991, the main ministry that uh, we have had since the beginning is training nationals um, in a, a Bible college. But along the way, I have uh, been involved in church planting and pastoring a couple churches. And the last church I pastored uh, was a church called Hilarmi Fundamental Baptist Church. And I pastored that church for three years. And one of the things I learned uh, in pastoring them is I came to a conclusion of what is the main problem of believers. <laughs> uh, that, that church did have some issues. That, uh, and still today, I'm, I, I love those people, and I minister to them once in a while. Um, but I did also come to discover what is probably the main problem of believers. The main problem of believers is this. Often believers fail to believe. <laughs> we, we know a lot of things, and we have the truth in God's word, but we don't actually often, in the nitty-gritty of life, in daily choices, have our faith in what God has said and our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the reason why people are not filled with joy and peace and hope like we ought to be. Uh, faith is the key to missions. Now let me explain uh, how that connects with missions by using three examples. And these three examples are basically garnered from uh, the Bible in general, truths, various truths from the Bible. How does trusting in Christ give you joy, peace, and hope? Three examples. Number one, trusting in Christ brings salvation, which brings joy, peace, and hope. And that's what verses 9 to 12 are describing. Trusting in Christ brings salvation, and salvation brings joy, peace, and hope. That is the cure, the ultimate cure for the world's depression and dissatisfaction and discontentment and various addictions. It is the gospel. Uh, I'm sure there, it's very helpful to have support groups and to have people that will you know, encourage you or hold you accountable. But the ultimate need of people and the ultimate deliverance from the captivity of self-pity and uh, addiction is Jesus Christ and the gospel. That sets the captive free. Jesus said, he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes in me shall never thirst. And he's talking about our heart hunger and our soul thirst. It comes from Christ. It's met in Jesus Christ and coming to him and believing in him. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's referring to rest for your souls. Christ gives soul rest. He gives peace and joy and hope. 
Second example is that trusting in Christ leads to a spiritual viewpoint, a scriptural viewpoint. And having a spiritual viewpoint, a scriptural viewpoint, brings joy and peace and hope. When we think of trusting in the Lord, we think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart, you're not leaning on your own understanding. So whose understanding are you leaning upon? Upon God's and the understanding that you get from God's word, his viewpoint. And I think that's part of what's behind what uh, was said in Isaiah 26.3. Judah singing a song of praise to God. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. When somebody is trusting in God, his mind is stayed on God, or focused on God. And as a result of that, God gives him peace. So what are people's minds on? If they're on money, if they're, it's on pleasure, that's what they are trusting in. What our minds, our thoughts are on reveals what our heart is trusting upon. If our heart is trusting in money, trusting in uh, various uh, pleasures to give satisfaction, that's what our minds will be on. And that will end with that result. But if our heart is trusting in God, then our minds will be focused on God, and God will give us peace. Isaiah 26.3. So trusting in Christ leads to a mind focusing on God and God's viewpoint. Um, I think of uh, three examples here. I think of uh, a lady named Daisy. When Daisy came to our Bible college, she had a lot of trouble her first semester and her whole first year. She was not passing classes, In fact, sometimes she was skipping her Bible classes and going to the shopping mall instead. (laughs) And my wife talked to her, and then I talked to her, and we talked to her together. And um, God worked in her heart through various times of counseling and the preaching that she heard and teaching that she heard in classes. And it was after that year that she got saved. And after getting saved, then she had a great spiritual desire for God's word. And as she more and more stopped leaning on her viewpoint, and instead trusting what God said and God's viewpoint, she was radically changed, uh, starting with her salvation, and then progressively uh, she grew in her her whole, that her salvation was worked out in her life as she continued to grow. And so today, 
Uh, Daisy is our ladies dorm supervisor, and she is the one that's counseling other ladies and helping them to grow uh, because the word of God had such a radical effect on her life. Another one that uh, is an example of a spiritual viewpoint is uh, a pastor. He's in our, our graduate school. Uh, his name is Orlando Marcello, and Pastor Orlando is, uh, he's older than me, I think. And uh, before, he was a government worker. He had a good job working in the government. Uh, he was serving in the church as well. But he began to realize that God wanted him to be in full-time ministry. And uh, that, that uh, change of priorities, you know, he, of course, as an unsaved person and even as a saved person for a while, his priority was on uh, money and living a comfortable life and providing a com comfortable life for his family, but then his priorities began to change. And he, from God's word, realized that he should seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And uh, he stepped out on faith, and the Lord is really using him. Uh, we went to his church a few months ago, and there's about 100 people there, and he has a, he's a good shepherd to all of those, all of those people. Uh, so his whole viewpoint regarding priorities and life and the reason for living was, was transformed as he put his trust in the Lord in his word. One more example about that is uh, Denny Hilarsis. Pastor Denny Hilarsis was a pastor in Manila and uh, Manila is easier in many ways than living out in the province of the Philippines where there's a lot, of, lot less and your people are farmers and there's not much uh, that comes in the church offerings. Uh, but he got a burden for um, Muslims in southern Mindanao and he left a you could say a comfortable pastorate in Metro Manila, Metro Manila and went down to south uh, where there's a lot of Muslims especially and he planted a church. Now he is a pastor to pastors. He holds um, education. He has classes for pastors, uh, kind of seminars for pastors down there. And I use him as an example because he was one of our graduates. He got a master's degree before he went down there. And uh, while he was down there, he had a stroke. Uh, and half his body was paralyzed. Uh, and even today, it's been some years ago, he, his speech is a little bit slurred. He has difficulty walking. He can walk now, but you know he... It's, it's obvious that he had a stroke because um, I think it's his left leg, I'm not sure. Uh, he kind of limps a little bit. Um, but he is rejoicing in the opportunity to serve God for the rest of his life 
His, his goal is not to uh, just take it easy at the end of his days. He wants to serve the Lord for the rest of his days. And that is a viewpoint that comes from having trust in the Lord and what the Lord says is important and the reason why God has given us life. Third example, trusting in Christ leads to submission to the Spirit and seeing the Spirit's power. Uh, Hebrews 11 describes people trusting in God. And what do they do as a result of faith? They obey, right? By faith, Abel offered sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. This is what faith does. Faith acts. Faith in Christ, as a believer, obeys. And when you do that, the Spirit of God powerfully works as you trust him and obey. And that is so important in missions. If you know the, some about the history of missions, the history of missions, and really of any believer whom God uses, is a history of people who trust the Lord, trust his word, and on that basis step out and obey, doing what God wants them to do. And as they do what God wants them to do, then the Spirit of God powerfully works through their obedience. Uh, time and again, we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus saying, your faith has made you whole. And be it unto you according to your faith. And as people trusted him, God worked. And when we want God to work in us and through our lives, we've got to, by faith, do what God wants us to do. Um, I remember one example of a man that um, I witnessed to, and you know sometimes it's not easy to witness to people that, that look hostile. <laughs> You know, we, if we have a choice, who we're going to witness to, we try to choose somebody who looks nice and looks kind <laughs> and receptive, not to somebody who looks hostile. Um, but uh, there was one time that, uh, you know, I really felt like I needed to witness to this man. And uh, I witnessed to him, and he said, I was born a Catholic, and I will die a Catholic. And he um, was really resistant to what I was saying, but you know, Filipinos are very hospitable, accommodating, it's part of the culture, you don't offend people. So he listened to me. And um, it was just, it usually doesn't happen this quickly, but it was three weeks later that he was saved. And he's still today, uh, faithfully part of and serving in a, a good fundamental church. Uh, and that was the spirit of God powerfully working in, in somebody's life. 
But we have to do what God wants us to do. Uh, if the Lord has placed on your heart somebody that you need to give a track to, to give your testimony to, uh, to witness to, you will be so glad you did. Uh, you will have peace in your soul. And what we find out in this passage is God will use that. You may not see instant results, but in Christ shall the Gentiles trust. And it starts with an, an individual believer deciding to confess to the Lord among the Gentiles and to sing unto his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, that you are with us always, even unto the end of the age. We are reminded that this world and all the nations in it and every person must someday bow the knee that you are the king of the universe and we have the right to speak to people. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, by faith, uh, faith in you to obey and to allow you to work powerfully through us as we, uh, as we obey. Help us, Lord, to be trusting in you so that we are filled with joy and peace and hope, uh, rejoicing in you, and that people through that would see Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ can do in a life. Um, and Lord, we thank you that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, to everyone that believes. Thank you for entrusting us with the gospel, for saving us by the gospel. Uh, help us to be faithful witnesses to it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.